0: Log Talk radio It's of a merchant store they brought up in Calio oh, Ra Me Alagal Do let me go She took me in the parlor and said Won't you be me bow? Oh, me alaga Do let me go Oh do let me go Me go, me Do
1: me And
0: the hour twelve o'clock come home me
1: and welcome. I am your old pal the King of Horror, Andy G, welcoming you to this side show of Talking Terror, which we are calling the Sin Enema, with myself and the Ghoul D. Keith. We're, tonight we're going to be talking about the Robert Eggers film The Lighthouse, starring Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. That song is actually by A. L. Lloyd called "Do Not Let Me Go," which is an old sea shanty. So I wanted to kind of set the mood for tonight. Uh, and of course, I am joined by him, the Gulli Keith. Hello.
2: A vast ye mates, bend down, grab your ankles, and prepare for your enemas What is
3: up, everybody?
1: <laughs> get ready to get it flushed out So yeah, I thought that that song was appropriate Thought it was a good way to set the mood for tonight Talking about a nautical horror film
2: Absolutely, it's, it's, it's naughty and nautical All rolled up into one, man
1: <laughs> And uh, for those of you that are tuning in tonight The cinema, like I said, is a side podcast that the ghoul and I are doing Uh, We're going to be, yeah, we'll we'll see how we do. It's not going to be weekly, like Talking Terror. It's just going to be whenever we get to the theater. And we find a movie that we really want to talk about and do an episode for. So we're doing The Lighthouse tonight, and who knows what's uh, in the future. But that's what this uh, podcast is all about. Not just horror films, but comedies, uh, dramas, action movies, the Marvel movies, the DC movies, everything in between. We go to the movies a lot. Of course, the ghoul, you know him. He's got the A-list, so he's always going. This is
2: special that I is. Yeah, no. Again, we uh, yeah, like like we mentioned, if you if you tune into the normal show, mentioned it last night. The idea of this is to kind of uh, uh, me and the king. We see a lot of theatrical films, and like you mm-hmm. said, I see a lot, a lot of theatrical films. Three a week at the minimum, if and when I can. Um, that being said. We love movies. We love talking about movies. We love all kinds of movies, comedies, indie films, thrillers, dramas. I go to Indian movies. There's all kinds of stuff that we see, man, uh women, whoever you know, I'm just flabbing away, of course, um, so, so yes, this uh again, we don't have any direct plan for this. There's no rhyme or reason behind it when we kind of feel like doing it or we see something, I see something, he sees something, and he's you know, hey. Dude, go see this movie Bam, do it, and then bam We're going to get on the air and talk about it So, And we'll talk to you about other things too We might freeze into other films That we might have caught Trailers that might have piqued our interest That kind of deal too
1: Yeah, that's a good uh, a starting point uh, For this episode uh, Trailers uh, Because they do present some before the movie Obviously, if you can see it theatrically uh, There were a couple in the one that I saw For the White House uh, the ones I saw was Uncut, uncut Gems with uh, Adam Sandler, uh, Knives Out, uh, The Turning, and Waves. Were the trailers that were before the lighthouse for me? What about you, Google? What did you see before the movie?
2: Uh, I believe I saw pretty much the same exact ones. Um, I, I, obviously, I think your trailers are going to be determined by the theater as mm-hmm. well yep. as you know whatever the movie is in question. But uh yeah, I don't think we also always have to talk about the trailers attached to the movie that we might be discussing. We could also be talking about trailers that have just piqued our interest from other times that we've seen things. But, uh, yeah, out of those four that you mentioned, you know, the turning looks really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. I also find it to be a very fascinating thing. We're looking at, I think, if I'm counting right, at least three horror films coming out in January of 2020. Yeah. You know, it's like there's yep. a new, new point of release for horror films all of a sudden.
1: Yeah, because that used to be the dumping ground for movies. Like, January is the month that you release your movies that you have no confidence in. Let's just dump it and see how it does. If it does great, great. If it doesn't do so well, that's okay. It's only January. But it seems like, the ghoul, like you just said, it seems like horror is kind of taking over January and kicking off the new year and, and in a great way, I think. Because these are solid movies that I saw trailers for. I, didn't, I wasn't disappointed by any of them.
2: Yeah, no, they they all look fascinating, and, uh, I, I, you know, from what I'm seeing, I like the atmosphere behind them, I like, you know, what they're showing me, I mean, obviously, look, like I complain a lot about on the on the regular feed, um, you know, I do feel like these trailers are starting to show a little too much, whether it's that they're too long, too many, too often, whatever it is, um, it is, it's bothersome to a degree, and I feel like, you know, the one that hit me the most recently with this was Terminator Dark Fate. Uh, I wish that there was a way that you know I could know from the movie theater what exact time my movie is starting I don't know if it's possible I don't know if I can call Mm -hmm. them to find out or what so that I can avoid the trailers Um, Or if you know again like I said yesterday if they can cut down trailers to you know Theatrical trailers only being a minute minute and a half long And you know what if you want to follow up if you want to see a longer trailer if that movie piqued your interest you know, we're, we're living in an age where we have computers in our hands every single day. You know, there, mm-hmm. there's, there's almost no point that you don't have access to these things to check out YouTube, check out Joe Blow Trailers or whatever site that you use to look at these things to watch those longer trailers. Because I feel like, you know, like we saw with the Pet Cemetery movie, we saw it with, you know, with Dark Fate. Uh, I'm I'm hoping it's it's not gonna ruin a bunch of other movies
3: for me.
1: Yeah, that is a problem with trailers. Uh, Knives Out, I thought, really did well. Uh, That trailer, that was before The Lighthouse, because it didn't show you too much. It kind of gave you a couple punches and showed you what it's going to be about, but it didn't reveal too much. I felt like the turning, it showed you a little bit too much. A little bit too much of the horror that you have to expect. Uh, Finn Wolfhard, though, I do like the fact that he's playing an antagonist in the movie. He's not playing the hero. He's not playing the character from Stranger Things. He's playing more of a dark character, and I like that turn, Mm. literally. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yes, he definitely looks like he is. Uh, he is, I guess, the antagonist, or at least one of them. It looks like it's obviously between the two kids. Uh, I know this is based. It's like an, an adaptation of a an 1890s, like I don't know, a short yes. story or a Henry small James. novel or something. The, the the turning of the screw or the turn of the yes. screw. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's got uh, it's also got Mackenzie Davis in it, who was also in Dark Fate. Um, so you know, I mean, oh, okay. here's uh, you know, a young up and coming actress who is starting to get a big push here. I mean, you got two movies within a three month period,
1: and deserves that push. You know, the, right now is the time to do it. Um, have you seen any trailers recently that weren't before the White House that you want to talk about?
2: Uh, just, uh, uh yeah, I mean, the only one that like you know again. It's one of those weird ones, man. I keep just uh seeing the trailer for a movie called Queen and Slim. And it's a uh it's a Afrocentric film. You know, I know me and you were having a discussion with this through just texting, you know, like a a week or so ago. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really enjoying this recent spike in African Americans putting out films that are not gangster films or not, you know, like music-based movies. Now, look, I'm not saying that to be in, in, in any kind of racist manner. It just seems like those are the types of films that typically get promoted or or seen the most from that culture. Uh, but I just recently saw something called Black and Blue. Uh, Quality-wise, look, it wasn't the greatest of movies. I, well, I'll admit. Mm-hmm. I thought that the plot, I thought that the story went towards – it led strongly towards being able to give us a really good message. That movie could have really said something strong about the, the the disassociation and, and how people are feeling right now between, you know, this divide between the, the, the police and between, you know, people in general. And then you add that extra layer of this woman being one, a female, two, an African-American female, and then three, a cop. You really could have layered in a much deeper message throughout this film that just wasn't there. Tyrese Gibson dials in his performance. I've never seen something so wooden in my life. These mm. people were living in New Orleans by way of New York and L.A. You know, like, listen, oh. man, there's uptown, there's downtown, and then there's the, you know, the, the sticks of New Orleans, and they all have different accents. Nobody had an accent at all. You know, you don't got to be talking like the Raging Cajun or anything like that. But come on, you know, just a little bit. Just give a little bit of something to let us know you had this fantastic setting, this fantastic place that you were, you were making this movie. You needed to really exploit that. Um, but, yeah, so Queen and Slim. Jeez. Yeah, so there look, there we go. See, that's me going off on a tear. Uh <laughs> Queen and Slim looks very entertaining. It looks like something in which, uh, almost like a modern day Mickey and Mallory, natural born killers esque type of vibe is what I've what I've seen mm-hmm. from it.
1: Yes, because uh, you were the one that told me about Queen and Slim, and I checked out the trailer, and yeah, I definitely got that. Uh, but I couldn't agree more with what you just said, where it's you have Afrocentric films that are coming out that aren't all about the ghetto. It's not all about drug dealing and gangsters and things like that. It's actually, you know, family-centric films, but thrillers and dramas and things that are coming out that are really entertaining and capturing my attention. Like Waves, um, the A24 movie, I still don't really even know what the movie's about, but I'm like, you know what? I kind of want to go see it just to get a feel for what it really is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, It's just, it got me, though, that trailer. For some reason, I was I want to see Waves
2: yeah that um that movie again is a uh a family centric type of film you know it's a look into the life of an african American family living down in like Florida, if I remember correctly from what I read yes. on it and mm-hmm. it's you know again it's not like one of my favorite movies is um god of course I'm not gonna remember the name of it – higher learning you know it, yes yeah it showed like all these, these, these differences between races and male and female and all of these things. But it did so in a way that was respectful and didn't, didn't offend. It didn't club you over the head. You kind of understood why each of these people went in the directions that they went in. And I feel like that's something that got lost amongst a sea of other films that started coming out afterwards in which things started becoming more of like a joke all the time. Um, I like seeing something like this. I I, I love the fact that we're having movies come out right now that are showing positive role models and influences to younger generations and to other people and to people like you and me, you know, people who, you know, maybe like, you know, like, again, I can't speak for everybody, but like, you know, the doc, I can at least attest to a situation he had when he was in college. And that situation led him to have a distinct fear of being one in Afrocentric neighborhoods, ghettos and whatnot like that, but two of African-American people in general as well due to something that occurred to him at a, at a, like a 7-Eleven or a store or something like that. Um, you know, so I understood his fear for it, even if I didn't share that fear. Um, I feel like movies that kind of can show these people as, people as families as they are to show that they're really not that different and whatever differences are there they might be cultural but they're not these huge gigantic gaps that everybody wants to make them out to be and by everybody i mean the media i mean the people that are fucking feeding these differences down our throats to make us feel afraid you know and that's that's the problem these days
1: yeah, and it's it's not a thing of also, like, whitewashing. You know, it's where it's very much Afrocentric, where the writers and directors have their hearts in the right place. It's not white Hollywood trying to make a movie about a black family and trying to be on the right path and trying to do the right thing. And that's what I really love, that that's where it's going now, where it's not all about white Hollywood anymore. It's actually now a renaissance that we're having.
3: Yeah,
1: and it's not
3: you know
2: directors and writers and people of that culture being white haters either they're just right. creating stories for their people you know and uh, yeah i'm sure there are plenty of white people out there They'd be like oh well that's racist for them to do that this and that listen the reality is this you know for years we've all had movies made that whether it was by purpose or whether just simply circumstance a lot of white people movies out there. So go fucking enjoy all those white movie people out there. You know, I know my biggest complaint was always talking about, you know, like I don't know, they remade the honeymooners and decided to throw, you know, a black cast into it. Like that I don't like, only because, you know, like listen, you guys could create your own stories. You know, you could create all your own things here. You know, what was it? Uh John Henry Irons. You know, it's mm-hmm. not like we walk around and like, hey, I'm going to make a movie about John Henry Idom, uh, Irons, be you know what, we making <laughs> white this time. You know, like we don't, I, I at least myself don't think in that nature, you know what I mean? Like that character, that story was based in that way. You know, like, hey, down the road, I'm going to remake Django Unchained, except I'm going to make Django a white dude. <laughs> Like, no, it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. That takes away the effect of the entire story and the snapshot of what it is. And it's me just capturing somebody else's magic and just trying to steal it. You've got your own tales. You've got your own ideas. You've got your own thoughts, man. Put them the fuck out there. We want to see it. I know I do.
1: Yeah, I do as well. I mean, it'd be like remaking Good Times and setting it you know, with the White Family. Like, no, you can't do that because <laughs> it was done, and it was done really well back in the 70s. We don't need a, a reboot with the White family. I know
2: they uh they they recently did the all in the family thing with Woody Harrelson and uh Marisa Tomei who was fantastic. Did you catch that? I know they I did catch that. Uh Woody Harrelson I don't feel like he did as, as well as I thought he could have, uh, but yeah. Tomei was great. She really was. She, You know what it is? She just has that natural accent, so it just, you know, her just throwing that out there, the way she was, the way she sounded, it just was it was spot on. It gave me, like, the chills. <laughs> they're doing it again, except this time I think they're doing it with uh, All in the Family and then Good Times instead of the Jeffersons.
1: Okay, well, that could work. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I didn't like Woody Harrelson at all. I mean, to me, there's only one Archie Bunker, and that's Carol O'Connor. And he was just doing a really bad kind of impersonation of Carol O'Connor as that character. It was it weird. Land. It was, yeah. was
2: fake. And that's what I didn't expect. You know what I mean? Like, I I get that the character was who he was and whatever racial issues and and all of that. He's a bigot. He's this. He's that. I never took it as him being effeminate. And the way Harrelson was playing it was effeminate, which just didn't feel true to that character. I don't know if they have him coming back or not, though. That I haven't seen. All I know is I saw an
1: announcement about it. Okay. Well, I'll still be checking it out. I mean, it's still fun to see them, you know, do these old episodes and then bring for a modern audience. And it, it's a cool idea. Um, but, uh, yeah, I wanted to talk to about, because we're going to get into the lighthouse a little bit, but I wanted to talk mostly about uh, Ari Aster versus Robert Eggers. It's something that I see a lot where people talk about Midsummer and Hereditary as they're just classic artistic horror films, thrillers, what have you. And people talk about Robert Eggers in the same way. Personally, I'm more of a fan of Robert Eggers. I think what he's doing is kind of like a breath of fresh air, and he's doing something different. He's setting his movies in different centuries, and Ari Aster, he's doing his own thing too, but for some reason, I just can't get behind what he does. I just don't think he does it as well as Robert Eggers does, and I wanted to get your opinion about the two and what you feel about them.
3: I think there's room for
2: both of them, man I think they both bring very distinct Different visions to this
3: Quote-unquote
2: elevated horror Genre um, You know, which is what both of their You know, their their oeuvre of Films has been thrown into You know, I have not seen Midsummer yet, uh, that is One that, you know, I know it's available on Xbox, I just haven't been Able to just throw the money into getting it Which is silly when I think about all the Other things I spend money on, but <laughs> you know, just again, it was just one that I haven't done yet. I have not just made that commitment. Um, but you know, obviously, I've seen Hereditary, I've seen The Witch, I've seen you know The Lighthouse. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I I think they both bring what they bring to the to their films. They they each have their own messages. They each have their own ideas. Their film styles. You know, that's uh, and that's fine. I, I don't feel like there's any need to really put a comparison out there. I'm happy to be able to watch movies from both of them.
1: Yeah, I just I, I guess it's just because I, we've seen Hereditary, we covered it on the show, and I've gotten to many arguments about Hereditary, about what I didn't like about it and what people do like about it. And it's the same way with The Witch. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts a little bit on The Witch and what you felt about when you first saw it. Because when I first saw it, I did it as a blind buy on Blu-ray. I had heard about it. I thought it sounded really cool. I took it home and watched it, and I was like, this is great Like, this is something that nobody has done in such a long time to incorporate, you know, the 16th century using the original language. It's a slow burn, but it works. Um, What did you think the first time you saw The Witch as, like, this brand-new film?
2: Well, again, I think, uh, you know, The the Witch is going to come up plenty while we talk The Lighthouse. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I mean, initial thoughts of The Witch was... I'll be honest. The first time I watched that movie, I sat there, and I remember me and the ghoul girl watching it. She fell asleep. I kind of sat there, fairly bored for the majority of the film, because it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And then that last 20 minutes or so hit. And I think for some reason, if I remember right, I might have even seen that before you did.
3: You did. I remember
2: watching that last 20 minutes... And just being completely 100% like just I, – I don't even want to say wowed because it's not the right word for it. Just like mm-hmm. my brain like exploded out of its head, did a couple of loop-de-loops, swooped around the room a couple of times, and then whooshed <laughs> its way right back in through my ears and was like – that's the only way I can comprehend what we just saw on that screen, because there's no fucking words to explain what it is that occurred. And, like, even the next day when I'm like, you know, when the ghoul girl's like, oh, wow, that movie was terrible, you know, whatever. I was like, you know, actually, you kind of need to watch it and see that ending, because I can't even fucking express to you what the hell happened at that point. I might have even woken her up to be, like, during the credits and be like, dude, you don't even want to know what the fuck you just missed, because I don't even think I can tell you right now. That being said, since knowing now what the ending is, I can digest that movie a hell of a lot easier. You know, I can enjoy the performances, the atmosphere, everything that got crafted into it, because at least I know that that end is going to deliver that insanity. Yes. That it's it not if not the mind blowingness anymore, it's just the craziness of what occurs.
1: I concur completely. Uh, that was exactly my thoughts when I first saw it myself. Is I just I love the setting. I love the characters. I tell everybody going into The Witch, it's a very slow movie. It takes its time. It's paced very slowly. But once you get to that ending, you're going to be blown out of your seat because there's a big payoff in that last third act, the last 20 minutes of that movie. It's such a great payoff that it's worth it that you sat through the rest of that movie to get to that point.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, and again, like I said, once you know the ending for it, it actually makes the whole film – more enjoyable, you know. Which again, you don't get that that often with movies. There's, there's very few movies that do that, especially you know for me anyway. Um, you know, so so that that's always a bonus. You know, I'm one that we have that extensive collection of films that we have on the uh, the on the Xbox, and you know, I, I rewatch a lot of things, but I don't watch a lot of things. You know, I might throw it on and fall asleep to it. Um, you know, so very rarely do I do I really rewatch something in its completion. So, that was uh that, that was definitely a good one.
1: Yeah, and and going into The Lighthouse when it was first announced, uh that Robert Eggers was releasing this movie called The Lighthouse, I saw the casting of Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson and I said, "Okay, I'm not really a big fan of Robert Pattinson because the only thing I really know him from is Twilight." So, I have nothing really to go off of him other than Edward Cullen. Obviously, I love Willem Dafoe. I think he's a fantastic actor. But what got me is the fact that he set it in 1890, shot it completely in black and white, using a lot of old-school lenses from the late 20s, and shooting it in 119.1 aspect, which gives it a kind of almost uh, square aspect when you're watching it. Uh, A lot of depth went into making it the way that it looks, and I thought that was one of the things that struck me first was the look. Making a black and white movie in 2019 and setting it in 1890. A gamble, but I think that Robert Eggers is the guy to do it. Listen, man,
2: Kevin Smith did it in 1993, dude. Yeah, of course. Come on, that's elevated horror, man. If you want to go... Oh, way, yeah. That's Tusk. That's
3: Tusk. He's not over you the can.
2: casket. I know you're not. I know he's not, living. he's not listening. I know he's living. I know he's not listening. He's in like Pittsburgh <laughs> or something right now, man. They visited the church from Dogma, which apparently is in such bad shape that they've been told, like, firefighters have been told if a fire is to ever start there, that there's, like, you know, basically, I guess what you would consider a do not resuscitate for a building. Ooh. They're like, don't put Ooh. it out. You know, just let the <laughs> fucking place burn down. You know, poor Kevin, he looked like his heart was broken. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think the the film style, the, the idea to go black and white... um I think, you know, unfortunately, that's one of those things that's going to go two ways. You know, this is a movie that's going to carry on word of mouth. You know, people yep. telling other people, hey, you know what? It's worth going to see this. Because I think if anybody catches the trailer and those those the, the other little weird snippets, like, you know, I remember one of the, the earlier things that I saw for it wasn't even a trailer. It's just like a scene of... It's like a, a one of those Harry Potter-like pictures in which it's like a living image, mm. and it's just mm. Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe just standing there, like, staring at you, kind of. And it just said what the release date was. And it was just bizarre, because here it is. It's in black and white. Pattinson looks, you know, I don't want to say he looks unrecognizable, but he doesn't look anything like anything I've ever seen him looking like before. And Dafoe is Dafoe. You know, you just, like, you, know, you can't. <laughs> It's just, there's no going around the damn guy. If he wasn't the Green Goblin, he would have been our best Joker. Um, yeah. Yeah, or at least one of them, I think. Uh, so yeah, I think with the, the the black and white, with the aspect ratio, which I don't know if a lot of people even know that they did this in like a 1.194. it's like old TV style. One nineteen one, yeah. Um. It's uh. It's different. Because, you know what, even though it's filmed in that way and using these old lenses, it's still very much a new movie. You know, at no point did I feel like I was watching a film from the 1900s or whatever. I always felt like I was watching a film from 2019 in which the director and cinematographer was making a conscious effort to make a film using the styles that they used back then. And I appreciated that. You know, it's not like it took me away from the film. It didn't take me out of it. It just, I guess, in a way, it gave me a deeper appreciation for it because I know what kind of work they had to have gone through to do
1: that. Oh, of course. Um, and for those of you that are listening, this is going to be a spoiler-specific episode. So if you have not seen The Lighthouse yet, go see it before you listen to this episode because we're going to get into some things that happened in the movie but the essential plot is that you have two men. <laughs> yeah. um, Ephraim Winslow, played by Robert Pattinson, and you also have Thomas Wake, played by Wom Dafoe, that are stationed at this lighthouse off the shore of New England. And throughout the course of four weeks, possibly more, we don't know. We'll get into it. Uh, they begin to experience things that drive them to the point of insanity. Uh, that's the essential plot of the movie, just kind of, giving a bare bones aspect of it to me. And I'm going to throw this out to Google because I want to get your perspective on it. To me, this was a nautical shining.
2: Huh? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know what? What was the other movie? Fourteen oh nine or whatever it was?
0: 1408. Oh, no, Secret
2: Window with Johnny Depp with yes. Johnny Depp. Mm-hmm. Um where, yeah. you know, he's what, he's like in a cabin or some shit, you know, supposed to write something and he ends up losing his fucking mind while he's doing it. Yeah, it's that mm-hmm. whole idea of isolation of isolation and how isolation can really fuck with your mind. And I think, you know, one thing that we just completely take for granted in this day and age and why this movie works so well by setting it in the time that it does, you realize how little people had to actually, like, entertain or do when, you know, especially when you had a job that literally required you just to be, one, watching the lighthouse and watching the lamps, and the other guy was just his gopher. You know, go do yeah. this, go do that, go dump out my shit pot, and that's that.
1: Yeah, that, and that's one of the things that I really did like about this movie is that it doesn't have a lot of dialogue in the beginning of the movie. It's not a lot of uh, back and forth with uh, Wake and Winslow. It's a lot of Winslow doing the chores that a wiki does which is basically taking care of the lighthouse, like the ghoul had said, refilling the lanterns, taking out the shit pots, collecting the food, doing all these very menial but backbreaking tasks. And then you have Wake as the captain between the two of them, kind of just reprimanding him whenever he can, calling him a dog, telling him that he's not doing a good enough job. They built the tension, I thought, really well right away between the two of them. Like there's just a very much an antagonistic kind of relationship that they have, kind of right off the bat.
2: Well, the movie does that to you right off the bat. You didn't need to see these guys or them interacting with one another to, to feel uncomfortable if there's one right. thing that this movie kicks off with. And, you know, like I said earlier, I yeah, I saw this over a week ago. You know, I will say I saw it like last Monday, if I remember right. Um, mm-hmm. And it was kind of, you know, hard-pressed as I'm sitting here trying to think of, you know, wow, what did I see? Because I've seen, well, five other movies in between since then, not counting what I've seen on television. Um, so what I remembered were feelings. And, you know, I saw this in Freehold. I saw this, you know, with the... It wasn't a full theater by any stretch uh, maybe there was like another 8 to 10 people in the theater as a whole it was like an early mm-hmm. day type of deal I might have seen it at like 1, 1.30 something like that this movie assaults your senses right off the rip the sound mm-hmm. design for this film uh, the the people that put the noises and the sounds of the lighthouse the cra- obviously you know listen water makes its own natural noises so you're gonna have all of that but that fucking echoing sound of that lighthouse yes that
1: mm-hmm. uh, the fog uh,
2: like just <laughs> like I could I, there were times I couldn't tell if it was the the, the movie score. Or if it was the lighthouse, was it signaling something? Was it evil like I, there were times when I watched them in the early interactions, they almost didn't look like they looked like they didn't know what the hell that noise was. I didn't know if that was signaling <laughs> the coming fucking apocalypse, man. All I know is I sat there with like this 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 this, this, this feeling of like Jesus, man, this guy's got to deal with this. Like this sucks.
0: Oh, that's that's (laughs) all I
2: can figure in my head, you know? So now, of course, you put him in here with this salty fucking cracker of a dude who, yeah, there is just absolute tension between these
3: two.
1: And it it works right off the bat. We also have uh, Winslow finding the the little figurine of the mermaid that to entertain himself sometimes he masturbates to a lot (laughs) to pass the time because, like you had said, Ghoul, not a lot to do with that lighthouse. Except drink and man the lighthouse, so I'm just gonna jerk off a lot.
2: Well, <laughs> you know? well that's the thing, though. You know, he came there to learn how to be a wiki. You know, to yep. learn how to tend the lighthouse according to whatever rule books and whatnot. The two of them are supposed to be switching off. Defoe is supposed to be teaching them how to do these things, and instead, what you're getting is is Defoe trying to monopolizing the light you know telling him like look I'm the only one that tends this light you have to do all this other stuff so you know in some ways you kind of feel like okay maybe it's just his his mentorship it's just his style But on the other hand, too, though, you do have Efren trying to do everything proper. You know, Defoe's character, he sits there, he's a Tommy, he starts bringing out, you know, the booze. And he's like, you know, just drink. And he's like, no, you know, I won't do that because, you know, that's against whatever maritime law and rule, blah, 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 blah. But, yeah, to watch as, like, even from him descending from that rigidness, to kind of sliding into finding this thing and yeah, just jacking it on a ring. Like, it's like you, I know you know him from Twilight, I know him from the Harry Potter <laughs> movie, too. I know there's only one movie, <laughs> yeah.
1: Cedric Diggory, but yeah. he was a
2: fairly important character in the overall scheme of the Harry Potter films. Um, yes, I've watched all the freaking Twilight films ad nauseum. Um, it is on my regular bedtime rotation. All seven of them, or however many of those there are. Were there five? Um, right. Yeah, there's four Hunger Game movies, five Twilight movies. I don't know. Whatever. It gets me to sleep. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, so I'm quite familiar with him. I know he's our Batman coming up. So
3: yes, you know, I,
2: I'm trying to be able to willingly look at him. And take uh, him for whatever it is that he's performing as, because I need to be able to watch this next movie and be like, okay, you're Bruce Wayne, you're Batman, give me something.
1: I hope he bulks up a little bit because seeing him in in the lighthouse, you know, he he's not he's not uh, Batman to <laughs> me. He, he's he's not bulky. He's not muscular. You know, he's just a skinny kind of guy in this movie. So it works for this movie because, honestly, like I said, I I only knew Pattinson from the Twilight movies, and that's all I knew, and I'm not a really big fan of them. I liked him in The Lighthouse. Like, honestly, it was like seeing DiCaprio in Django Unchained, where I never liked DiCaprio until I saw Django. And I was like, you know what? He's actually really good in this fucking movie. And that's the way I felt about Pattinson. I was like, he sold it in this movie.
2: See, I think for me, and I think a lot of people – you know, there's that 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 generation thing with DiCaprio because he's similar in age. You know, like yeah. I remember him in Growing Pains. I remember you I know seeing too. him in Gilbert <laughs> yeah. Grape and so forth and so yep. forth and always for that kid. You know, yeah, you know. Um, well, I mean, there was the, uh, a Boy's Life.
1: Um, oh, well, Mark Wahlberg, great movie. The, the,
2: ba- the Basketball Diaries. Like he's yeah. a lot. He's been in a lot of films that were just ridiculously great and his performances were always fantastic and again though like uh, one thing I'll always say with him is he always ends up picking these movies yeah, and he picks these roles and he does great in them the problem is he just always ends up in a film with somebody that just happens to do a little bit better <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah uh, no mistaking that um,
3: hey,
2: awesome. but like, we,
1: we, like we had talked about though um, with uh, the foe as uh, Wake. You know, he's the guy that takes the night shift, so that way Winslow can take the day shift and do all those menial tasks. Uh, One of the scenes that you see him in, he's on top of the lighthouse stripping completely nude for no apparent reason and just looking into the light, and that leads to Winslow going, what the fuck is he doing? Like, why is he naked? Why is he on top of this lighthouse? Like, what is going on? Like, right away, they kind of give you that something is not right. Like, something is, is weird, They give you the visuals right away with uh, Winslow when he walks out into the water. He sees all the logs in the water, and then the body uh, right away. Like, they're very Kubrickian, I think, in a way, with a lot of these things.
3: Yeah,
2: I mean, again, they've uh, they've established the isolationism. They've established this, this tight, you know, claustrophobic type of location. They've now also established a... A, a a a butting of heads, so to say, between these two yeah. guys. You know, when he sees him dancing up there, that shortly after him telling him that, you know what, I tend this light. You're never gonna tend the light. That's not what you're gonna do. You know, your job is just to be here and be my fucking dog, essentially. Um, yeah. So, you know, like they they they've put all the building blocks in place for you to have character have not only a mental breakdown but for you to also now question did the other character that's already there suffer this breakdown and is insane himself
1: the other wiki that uh he talks about uh, wake how, how the other wiki that he had went insane by mm-hmm. being there um and i but love that little as
2: being insane you know, like, that's yeah. the thing. He never sees himself as being crazy. Now, obviously, look, yeah. the people that do suffer these mental episodes, sometimes they <laughs> don't. Sometimes a crazy person just doesn't realize that they're fucking crazy. It's just how it is. To them, it's all rational. To them, it all makes sense. Um, you know, it's the, it, like, like I always say, you can't... With a rational mind, you'll never be able to understand an irrational mind because you don't know no. exactly what it is or how it is that they're perceiving everything around them. Um, so, yeah, that 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 I think this gives you the windows. It shows you the building blocks towards it. But now it's up to Pattinson and, and Defoe to be showing us through their performances, you know, are they crazy? Is this one nuts? Is that one nuts? What's this one hiding? And so forth and so forth.
1: And we had, we had brought up the fact a little bit earlier about the first time that they have dinner together. And Wake offers him the booze. And he goes, I don't do that because of maritime law. And he goes, no, come on. Like, you know, you're fine. Have a drink. And he drinks it, but he immediately coughs it up. Like, he just, he's not used to having alcohol. But I love what Wake says about sailors. About how they really don't have much, and to keep them kind of regular and to keep them sane, they drink alcohol. Like that's what they do. And Winslow says, "Well, that just makes them stupid." <laughs> and Wicked kind of agrees, and he kind of laughs about it because that's really all they have is, is booze. Like they don't have any other kind of entertainment. So what are they going to do to fight off the loneliness, fight off the crazies? But drink.
3: Yeah. Well,
2: again, you know, to to him, the idea was that he was going to be a responsible man he you know as we're going to learn later he's running from something you know and this yeah. was supposed to be his escape you know but what's funny is is you know well once you know and similar to to the witch once you know where certain things go in this film it starts to make other aspects of it make more sense specifically why wake treats him the way he does what you gotta wonder is is you know obviously this isn't wake's first rodeo he's had other Wikis prior to this kid right is it that he knows he always gets saddled with the people that are like this, you know, like, hey, this guy really doesn't have much potential, you know, like this guy's kind of like a shitty worker, or you know, he's got probably a bad backstory. We don't have any real true true past on this kid. And is that why they get sent to this, you know, this most isolated, shitty area lighthouse that could possibly be fucking out
1: there. And the fact that Winslow used to be a timberman working in the woods. And that's something that Wake doesn't really have any expertise with because he's a man of the sea. So he just can't imagine being stuck in the woods where you have nothing but trees around you for just endless miles upon miles. And why would a timberman want to become a wiki? Like what is it about the sea that you really have an interest in? Because it doesn't make any sense to Wake and to as an audience member it didn't make any sense to me either when he first says that he wants Hmm. to be a wiki, like why would you want to go from the woods and isolation that you have out there to the water? You know, what's your attraction?
2: Well, I mean, I think that's, you know that could be said of anybody, though. You know how many people from the the the, the mid country states go off to become Navy guys, you know, or Air Force mm-hmm. people. You know, people want to explore. They want to see bigger. They want to see different. They want to they want to get outside of themselves. Everybody, you know, as uh, well, not everybody. I guess that's wrong to say. You know, the 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 majority of <laughs> people. And I think this was more true for past generations than it is now where due to the conveniences we have, we want to stay trapped at earlier ages doing the same things, you know, or going back and doing the things that we loved as children. Back then it was different. Back then it was all about going out and kind of trailblazing in a way and proving yourself, proving yourself by getting out there and doing all these different things, you know, for some, not for all. Others just simply worked They slaved away at a job for their entire lives until they died, similar to what we still do in this day and age. Um, They just didn't have as many means of entertainment as we do now
1: to to stave off death. Yeah, exactly. Um, And another thing that I really like about this movie is that while it's a small cast film, where you only have Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe in this movie, I think the seagulls are an entirely different character in this movie. of uh, Their own ilk, including the one with the missing eye, that is constantly just antagonizing Winslow at every chance that it gets. Uh, You know, knocking on the window when he's trying to sleep. You know, standing in front of the doorway when he's trying to get by, trying to scare that seagull away. And it leads to Wake saying you can't kill a seagull because that's the soul of a sailor that passed away. And if you kill one of them, it's a bad omen. Like, you're going to bring bad luck wherever you go. And I thought it was such a great tell as to what is going to happen.
2: Yeah. Well, the seagulls also represent, I feel like in a way they also represent his, his mind slipping. You know, it starts with one, you start to hear and see more and more and more, but that one particular one in itself is is your your catalyst there? You know, like I just kept going back to the birds
1: with it, man. With Hitchcock's
2: birds, I uh, mm-hmm. you know, that was one of those movies I caught as a kid. Ooh, excuse me, I caught as a kid. And uh, see, we don't edit people, so when we yawn, we yawn. And have it happens. Sorry, <laughs> um, right. I'm boring myself. So I hope you guys are entertained. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like I saw that movie early as a kid and it freaked me out, you know, like I was one of those, like when I say I saw that as a kid, I might've been like five, six years old when I saw the birds, you know? So it it was supposed to be a scary movie. It was a scary movie. What can I say? Um... So yeah, I, I liked the use of the birds. It was just, it wasn't, it, they, they were their own characters, the seagulls, you know, they're fucking rats with wings, that much I can tell yeah. you, man. Growing up on my grandparents' boat and, you know, being around beaches and shit my entire life, those fuckers are a nightmare. That's what they are, but no, I don't oh, think yeah. I've ever killed one, nor did I ever want to. One took my no. sandwich once, a fucker. Literally right out of my hand Like I was sitting there on the beach Holding it and like eating it And I had my arm like slightly out Like maybe about a foot and a half away from my head Talking And fucking woof Fucker came right down Took it right the
1: hell out of my hand And was gone (laughs) Oh man Yeah they're quick fuckers (laughs) You know and that was the thing on set That they had to deal with Was these seagulls Because they were in this place, filming this movie, and they constantly had the seagulls around, and they were basically just using the crew for food. Like, whenever a crew member had food out, they would swoop down and take it. So basically the same thing that happened to you happened to the crew. Um, But I do like this one-eyed seagull because it constantly antagonizes Winslow. Uh, They have that scene where he's painting the side of the uh, lighthouse, and you have Wake Mm -hmm. lowering him down going, it's okay, I got you, I got you. He's like, no, you're lowering me down too far. And then he just drops him. I felt like it was purposeful, and I kind of liked it. <laughs> like he just had enough of, of Winslow and dropped him on purpose.
2: I don't know if he dropped him on purpose. I think it's a case of Wake mistaking his own abilities and his own strengths, especially when he's constantly hungover, constantly drinking, um, mm-hmm. and you know, and I guess maybe the maybe on a subconscious level he did it on purpose just because he was tired of his whining. But for the most part, I really just think Wake – it's just kind of, he's just he's a shitty boss. That's what he is. He's the kind of boss oh, yeah. you have that, you know, you're just like, or if not the boss, maybe like, you know, when you have a shitty supervisor, you know, that kid that's always coming in and he's fucking, you know, loaded or, or fucking shot out of a fucking cannon because, you know, he spent the whole weekend doing fucking blow all weekend. And now he came in on Monday, looks like hell, looks like shit. And he's yet yeah, he's going to bark orders at you and treat you like an asshole because, you know, that's what he's going
1: to do. Mm-hmm. And after he falls, uh, when he wakes up, you have the same one eyed seagull pecking at his pant leg. So, uh, Winslow has had enough of this fucking seagull. Like, I've, I've had enough. I don't want to see it anymore, but it keeps coming back. It keeps, this one particular seagull keeps coming back to antagonize him. And the one thing I wanted to talk about uh, this movie is kind of funny. Like, it's got some comedic elements to it that I wasn't expecting. Um, and one of them, because I was in the audience of six people. Including myself, and when Winslow finds the water is kind of bloody as he's uh, using the sink, and he finds out that there's a seagull dead in the tank. That seagull comes back, and when he decides he's had enough, and he starts killing it, the audience laughed, and I did too. I thought it was funny when he just starts whipping this fucking seagull around back and forth like the Hulk on Loki in the Avengers, (laughs)
3: like
1: back and forth.
2: Yeah, I mean that was when he uh, well it was getting close to his leaving, and yeah, like totally that's flat. the thing, like this was suppo- it was supposed to be a four week uh yeah. sh- you know sojourn or whatever that he that he's out there with him. Um, yeah, he goes to use the water and like shit and blood starts coming up through it. He goes to the well and finds you know I guess there's just a, de- a bunch of dead birds and shit and stuff built up into it. Yeah. Um yeah and he snaps, and he starts yeah I guess the loki uh the Hulk Loki thing just makes the most sense right there. He really goes all out on that damn thing, and you know what no, I don't think anybody in my audience laughed except for me because you know <laughs> I did I sat there, and I was fine yeah, I went away. I thought it was really funny because, you know what, as much as, like, you know, look, like I said, seagulls are a pain in the ass. They're rats with wings. I I would still never hurt one of them. So seeing somebody just so crazily do it knowing that he's not only doing it because he's fed up with this damn bird but because he's also fed up with Wake and it was Wake who gave him you know that specific thing like you know you don't kill these damn things so this was kind of like his best way of being like you know what fuck you I'm going to tempt fate you want to fucking see yeah. what happens Yeah. this, this is what's going to happen asshole I'm going to kill it and that's just going to be that and uh, no unfortunately for him that is just not what happens
1: and following the him killing the seagull, it leads to, okay, we're, we're reaching the point of when there's a big storm on the horizon. It's coming. Uh, the ferry's going to come to pick us up. So we're just going to pass the time and drink. And this is when it gets into that aspect of the movie where now all they really have is alcohol. And it becomes sens- uh, such a central figure to this movie where they have nothing to do now except to get fucked up. Every night, you know, just getting the booze out and drinking and drinking and drinking, which leads to more arguments between the two about why Winslow can't go up into the light, why Wake is so protective of that light. I, I just, it's building and building and building like a pot boiling water, and I thought it was handled so well.
2: Yeah. Well, and again, you know, we, uh, when you look at Egger's other film, when you look at The Witch. And yep. how we saw things get built up there. Um and again, a similar sense of isolation, a similar mm-hmm. sense of being out there and being with no one. Um you know, hell the characters had the same name. You know, her name was what? It was like Thomason. Tom, 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 yeah, Thomas, Thomason. or something like that.
1: Yeah. Um, Thomason,
2: yeah. You know, and here we have Tom, you know, Wake and as we eventually get is that, you know, this character's name is Tom as well. Um but, you know, even the whole idea of like her being Treated almost like slave-like, and remember at one yeah. point in that movie, the parents are talking about, you know, like sending her off somewhere else until so she's like marriageable age. You know, I think that was the mom yeah. she was all like getting jazzed up, thinking like the dad wanted a boner or some shit. Like <laughs> yeah. all those, those 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 weird things that were going on in that film. You know, if you could definitely feel. Like, what occurs in the lighthouse is occurring in that very same world that the yeah. witch took place in. You know, like, if you were to tell me, like, hey, this is just, you know, 200 years later, I'd be like, makes perfect fucking sense, man. Holy shit. You know, he, he's related to her in some way, you know? Um, it almost makes me wonder with the characters if maybe we're... And again, I get it. You have to have two people or whatever, which was regular up until a certain year when they then became, you know, you were able to man a lighthouse with one guy. But it made me wonder at times if indeed we were looking at one person here. And this was just one man's descent. And these were actually just two sides of the same coin. You know, he's busy doing all the work. He's doing all the shit that he's got to do. But by night, he's acting like a complete wild man on top of that lighthouse.
1: Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you brought that up because uh, the lighthouse itself as a movie was loosely based on something that actually happened back in 1801 uh, outside of Wales at a lighthouse where there was a two-man team, Thomas Williams and Thomas Griffith. Sheep shaggers over there. Well, what happened is in in this particular situation, there was a two-man crew. Uh, I believe it was Thomas Griffith that ended up surviving. Thomas Williams died. Thomas Griffith didn't want to be accused of murder. So he didn't let the body go out to the sea. He ended up making a makeshift coffin and placing it outside of the lighthouse so it was out of the place. He could just ignore it. You know, I didn't kill anybody. He died of natural causes. But a storm hit, and the coffin broke open. And you had the decomposing body of his friend, and the arm kept banging against the side of the window in the lighthouse. And it eventually drove him insane. (laughs) Yeah. It actually happened, and that's what led to three-man teams being incorporated to the lighthouse. So no more two-man teams. We're going to have three men. So if one dies, you still have two left. So that was what uh, came that. And it's, so, it's just hilarious thinking about this, this dead body knocking against the lighthouse, and this guy going slowly insane, thinking that this guy's trying to get him
2: fucking telltale heart, you know, like you're hearing that heartbeat that whole time, man, it's just
3: this fucking constant.
1: (laughs) It's constant just freak out. Um, But another, uh, like I said, a, a funny element is the next day after they get drunk, they go out and try to find the ferry and the ferry doesn't come. It's not coming for them, so let's just, you know, go about our daily business and the chamber pots need to be emptied. So Winslow, for some fucking reason, decides to go to the highest point on a windy fucking rock lighthouse to dump out this chamber pot and it gets blown back in his face. I fucking, I was holding my sides laughing so hard when all that shit and piss got put all over his face. (laughs) Why would you go that high? (laughs) Just dump it in the water.
2: Uh, huh. Uh, you know, again, no rhyme or reason behind it. I don't know if that's where he always does. If He's just not thinking. He's not thinking outside of, you know, I don't know. You know, you're you're again. You're kind of like in this isolated area. I don't see why you don't just fucking walk, walk down the one little spot. Maybe because it could have gotten, I don't know. Maybe it could have gotten in the well. <laughs> if you Did it in whatever other locations. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it, it's it, it, it's it's always funny to think of other people getting that kind of shit and stuff all over them. But being somebody that at, at one point at a job that I worked. We had uh, plumbers on staff, and I remember being in the basement one time where the main drain line for the house had burst open. Thankfully, it's not like it coated me, but Bobby, the plumber, like when I got to the house, by the time I got there, like he literally, from head to toe, and I mean like dripping off of his well coiffed hair down to his fucking boots, was just covered in shit. And, like, not oh, no. like, oh, hey, it's just the muck from the house, you know, shit. No. No, this was, like, literal feces, like, oh. Mm. And it was just, like, horrific. It was horrendous. The idea of that is just, yeah.
1: It's, it's disgusting. And and when he, when he does it and he dumps it, and he just stands there for that, like, two beats. And then he just lets out that scream. It's like, I'm right there with you, man. That's fucking terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I love how Wake goes, You smell like shit when he comes running back in. Why do you smell like shit? <laughs> it's like, well, I was emptying the pots. But this also leads to the discovery of the mermaid, which is another character in this movie played by Varia Karaman. Uh, this is a beautiful <laughs> mermaid kind of laying on the rocks, and he and you have Winslow discovering her and pulling away all the seaweed. And just getting turned on, like she's got great breasts, and then he reaches down and sees that she's actually a mermaid, but again, a great kind of reference I got to The Shining with the woman in the bathtub in 237, mm-hmm. where she just yeah. reaches up and starts fucking laughing at him in his face, and he just gets so freaked out, he's got to run away.
2: Yeah, it's uh, and again, it was one of those, I, I wasn't sure where this film was going, and, you know, like I say, as much as I might hate trailers that I see, this was a movie that didn't have a lot of push behind it. Like, you know, I had heard of it. I heard about it. I, you know, had heard little things about, you know, Pattinson's performance and, you know, how it's just a different and a weird film. So I really didn't know if what I was about to watch was a movie in which, you know, he was going to find a mermaid. And he's <laughs> gonna fuck the mermaid You know, like, I don't, I don't know Like, anything was possible As far as I was concerned with this film So yeah, when this occurs, I'm like At first I thought it was just a woman And I'm like, well, how the fuck did some woman land there? That's weird, he must really be losing his fucking mind But mind you, he did kill the birds So we know that that's what changed <laughs> the winds to begin with And created right. a whole lot of other stuff So, yeah, mermaid, woman, whatever it is Freaky so, as hell, that's what it is, okay? Freaky it was as scary. I ran off this it time.
1: it bothered me that whole because it's so silent, but you have that music overlay over it where it's silent, but you have that kind of background music, like the winds and that' and that quiet music playing, and then when she starts laughing and screeching in his face, and he runs away to pauses to scream himself, it's a fucking creepy sequence, and I was like it just it worked like it's just it's a weird thing. And it brought up those memories of Jack Nicholson in that fucking hotel room, making out with the woman in 237.
2: It made me feel bad for freaking Pattinson, too, because you know what? It's like he can't escape these things. He dealt with no. them in Harry Potter. You know? He had to go <laughs>
1: yeah. deal with
2: one of those challenges where he had to go swim underneath the sink <laughs> to go save somebody, you know?
1: Um, and what I wanted to talk about next is when he, after the mermaid sequence, after he's talked awake. Wake is telling him about how the ferry isn't coming, but then he mentions how long they've been there. And it's one of those things where he's like, weeks? I told you weeks ago, we have to get those rations. We have to be prepared. I told you this. And it's like, well, now there's kind of a blurring of time where you don't really know how long they've been there because now it's being tossed out there that maybe they've been there longer than the four weeks that they mentioned at the beginning of the movie. I don't know if you caught that, but to me it was kind of one of those bizarre things of like, okay, now it we're com- going into how long they've been there.
2: I totally caught it, and it confused the fuck out of me, man. Yeah, I didn't me too. know if maybe I fell asleep for a little bit or something. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, did I miss something? But yeah, like because I know that like you know they got it was his night that the, the next day he was leaving. The boat was yeah, coming,
0: yeah.
2: and. You know, they got shit-ass drunk, like drunk, drunk, majorly, majorly fucked. And then, yeah, then they woke up, and he was talking about how, you know, because the water burst in, things were soggy, it's moldy, it's this, it's that. But then, yeah, then he starts talking about being the rations for weeks. He's been talking about rationing everything for weeks, which started making me think – that the reason why everything was already so moldy was because there had been weeks that had passed. And yeah, yeah like yep. were we not only here for four weeks? Have we been here for months? Because yeah, at another point he's like, Yeah, that the ship's gonna come, the ship's gonna come. And he said the ship yeah. was supposed to come two weeks ago or something like that. And it was like He did. Wait yeah. a minute.
1: It's just bizarre mind meld of how the fuck long have they been there? Um, And, of course, they have to dig up the rations, and you think they're going to go dig up food that maybe Wake had left behind with the last wiki, but when they dig up the rations, it's more alcohol. It's just nothing but bottles of booze. These are the rations. So it leads to them getting drunk again and just getting along in a way, because it seems like when they're drunk, they get along for a certain period of time until something happens. And this is one of my favorite sequences in the entire fucking movie, is when they get drunk, and Winslow goes, you're fucking cooking. He's like, what I wouldn't get for a steak, if I had a fucking steak, if I had a rare steak, you know what I would do with <laughs> it? I would fuck it. <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, what? You don't like my cooking? You don't like my cooking? I saw you. I saw you like the lobster. I saw you like the lobster. Tell me you like my lobster. Tell me you like my lobster. And he's like, no, not going to do it. Not going to do it. I shame you and curse you to Neptune, and then he goes into this really long monologue where he curses him to the depths of the sea with Neptune, and it finally leaves him saying, "All right, fine. You know what? You win. I like your cooking. <laughs> it's so just. It's so funny. Like I just I couldn't stop laughing. When he's just so upset that he doesn't like his cooking. He doesn't like the lobster. He just wants the steak." The, the fucking
2: steak comment, okay, again, I think that's one of those where nobody in the audience expected it. Obviously, I didn't mm-hmm. expect it either. No, but as not soon this as movie. it got said, I'm fucking howling. I am laughing <laughs> yeah. so hard. And everybody else is just, like, stone-faced, quiet. And then, like, you know, I heard, like, a chuckle or two as, like, I guess maybe something, like, dawned on somebody, like, holy shit, he just said he wants to fuck a steak.
3: Um,
2: But, yeah, Wake (laughs) is genuinely, genuinely hurt by a <laughs> food comedy. Like she really is, You can completely see it. You almost feel bad for the guy
3: to a degree.
2: But here's what I pose to you at this point, because this is where I started thinking some real weird shit about the okay. movie. What if Tom, Tommy, Ephraim, whatever you want to call him,
3: yeah. what if This
2: is his purgatory What if this is his hell And what if Wake Is the man that is holding him What if he is the one that has been put in charge of his punishment for the sins that he committed that we're going to find out about in a little bit? You know, like that, that that insanity and everything with it, is this one of the (laughs) stages of hell that this character is dealing with here? You know, and that's the stuff that I started thinking about as we hit this point of the film, because Wake really is graduated up to this insanity. But then there's this camaraderie that occurs between the two of them. And like I said, they could be the same side, you know, different sides of the same coin, but if not, you know, maybe Wake's lording over him is actually more significant than just somebody tending the lighthouse and teaching his, you know, this newer guy coming in.
1: Oh, I couldn't agree more. Like at that point, I mean, even later in the film, as we go on with it, I felt like this was purgatory. Like he, you know, for some reason he's stuck in this purgatory. That's why he's trapped there. That's why these things happen. There's something that happens towards the end of the movie that I'm going to posit that kind of shows you that what's going on is a purgatory type situation where it's not actually happening in real time. This is something that's happening because of what his sins were uh, against what he had actually had done. Um, because after that night with the the whole argument about him cooking, we have Winslow trying to get the key away from Wake while he's sleeping, and I love the fact that they keep making Wake fart all the time. It's <laughs> like he's sleeping. Was gonna, I was just going to bring up the farts,
2: dude. <laughs> like, they established yeah. that early, too. Like, it's a nice little bit of levity that gets put in there. Yeah. It's subtle, but you know it every time it happens. And you know what? I'm an immature little shit. I still I love find farts funny. <laughs> every time he farted.
3: Hilarious.
2: You know, every time. And, like, again, like, I felt like I was in a theater with an audience that was, you know, they were mostly it was, like, older people. I think there were some younger people in the back, and those were the Mm -hmm. ones that I think giggled with me and whatnot. But I felt like they were much younger than me. They might have been, like, early 20s type of deal, and everybody else in the audience had to be in their 50s. And I don't know. They just didn't find farts as funny as I did, you know? But listen, (laughs) I I, I like a good fart, dude. A fart is just always going to be something that makes me laugh. And when you give me a character that is just constantly going to be ripping ass, it makes me fucking back up. And it just reminds me of like customers that I've been to. I mean, I've gone to people's houses where I've had like old dudes where like you know you'll be walking up the stairs, you'll be walking up the stairs behind them, and they'll just tear ass as they're going. Like you know, like it ain't nothing. Now I'm sure he couldn't control that from happening, but I just love the fact that they don't even acknowledge it. It's not even like he'll turn around and be like, oh yo, excuse me, I'm sorry, I know you're like three steps below me, I just farted in your face, bro. No, they're just like.
1: I I just love that. That's like a little aspect of Wig's character is that every time he's trying to sleep, he farts. Um, And it comes up later in the movie, which I really did like that. They brought that back up. Um, But again, when you brought the purgatory aspect, this is why I want to say that I think that he's in purgatory because he's once again, going through the routines of his job, Um, going back and checking the lobster traps for food. And that's where he discovers the head for the first time of possibly the wiki, That was with Wake before he showed up. So is it really there or is he imagining it? We don't know. We just see him seeing this and reacting to it, but also leads to him going back to feeding the cistern and deciding he's going to masturbate one more time to that figurine. But now he has a much more vivid dream of the mermaid and now he's plowing that ass and he's just going to town on this mermaid and you get the whole visual of her vagina. Like just this whole visual of mermaid badge that I never thought I would actually say anywhere except for this podcast, that you get mermaid vagina. But you know what? He's going to town on it. Listen, you know,
2: look, we all grew up. We all saw the little mermaid. We all wondered. Oh, she's hot. It. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah, actually, you know what? You know what's funny is you know, they they did that live thing the other day, and you know, Bonnie made a joke. She's like, yeah. She's like, oh. She's like, I bet you totally had a crush on Ariel. You know, and you know what? I'll be honest, I never did. I never, though. I was never one to. Um, I never sexualized cartoons. Uh, it just, just never even like dawned on me in that way. Like, you know, I would have to say like, it didn't, okay, that's not true. I didn't really think about it until like, maybe I could sit there and be like, yeah, princess Jasmine was kind of hot, but that was more about her Mm -hmm. outfit than anything else. Um, prior to that, though, the only two times I'd say that, like, I looked at a cartoon and was like, wow, you know, that's, that's you know, definitely a sexual thing, with literally two cartoons that were made specifically for that. And that was, you know, Jessica Rabbit, obviously, in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and then Hollywood in uh Cool World.
1: Oh, um Oh Hollywood is you know, so hot. I'm sorry. Portrayed by, you know, obviously in yeah
2: in Real World portrayed by Kim Basinger, you know, in like yes, the yep. height of her career, man. Um so, like, yeah, that, but, yeah like, I think, I don't know, like, yeah, Mermaid dance didn't really, like, phase me, because, you know what, I've seen the shape of water, and that, I think, got me more <laughs> yeah, than anything else. Yeah. Even though you don't see it, her description of it, and her showing you <laughs> with her hands, like, kind of how it happens, was like, <clears throat> I don't ever want to think about it, see it, or need to ever again. <laughs> but when it happens it's like, Okay, you know what, it's a species, we're good. It's it's two thousand
1: eighteen.
0: Yeah.
1: It was a long visual though in the movie, you know, of seeing him just plowing this mermaid what he wants, but he just he can't get off. So he ends up breaking the little statue that he has of the mermaid because he just he can't do it. It's just for some reason, all these things that are happening in his mind, he just can't focus on coming. So he ends up breaking that statue. And what's left to do other than get drunk with we'll fucking Wake again? And I love the chugging side-by-side sequence when they're just standing side-by-side and chugging these fucking bottles. Like we just, That's all that's left. So let's just fucking get drunk. And then we're gonna dance to she shanties and we're gonna fucking dance, dance, motherfucker, dance. Like, you know. Come on, that's all we got. And then we're gonna slow dance. We're gonna take it slow. <laughs>
3: yeah. Oh Again.
1: I it was so uncomfortable. I don't know if it was meant to be that way, but I was just like, Okay, now I'm a little bit uncomfortable the fact that they're slow dancing and you have Wake singing to Winslow real slow and yeah, nah.
2: Yeah, I think it was definitely meant to be uncomfortable. I don't see how else you take it. It's definitely not something that's meant to be taken comedically. It's not played for the laughs. It's played for just a – it's not even like, hey, wow, that's so – gay, that's why it's uncomfortable. No. no. Yeah. Everything about nope. the situation, everything that leads up to it, everything about the tension between these guys. Like at no point do I ever look at these two guys and I'm like, Yeah, well he's gonna
0: fuck the shit out of him. Like,
2: no, none of that ever enters my head. It's just like these two guys realizing that like, you know, as, as a as a viewer realizing that these yeah. two guys, their mentality, their minds are so fucking broken and far gone. Yep. All they've had for sustenance is booze and the occasional fucking lobster that this guy catches.
1: Yeah, I never took it as gay. Like, I never thought that, like, you know, when, especially because they almost kiss in that one sequence, I never took it as gay. I just thought it was two broken guys that have nothing but booze. They have lobsters, and then they have boobs. You know, that's all that they have. So it's,
2: yeah. They were going to die. You know, I think that's what they were also realizing is like, hey, this, you know, if this boat doesn't come, we literally have no way to survive here. They don't have fresh water because of what happened with the well. You're surrounded by salt water. You can't drink that. You know, your, your best bet is to hope you can catch some rain. But when you got that kind of wind, you get so much of a mix. It ain't going to happen. Yeah. You can, how, how are you going to get food other than maybe if you're lucky and you get a little bit of a lull in a storm? Like this place just feels like it's just constantly being bombarded with shit. It's hell. And there's just no way these guys are yeah. going to make
3: it out of
1: yeah, to me, I felt like it was hell. Like, they had that one sequence of Winslow walking through the rain, you know, with the stuff to feed the cistern, and he's trying to get the water, trying to drink some of the rain that's coming down, but he's also getting the seawater, too, so he's spitting it out at the same time because it's not what he wants. Like, he wants water, and he can't get it. All he can get is seawater, and I thought that was a great shot of him just realizing, I'm not going to get any kind of good water. I'm just getting fucking seawater in my mouth and that's not what I want. Um, The, uh, you know, what I want to
0: talk about is
1: the next day when Winslow has had enough and he, he, well, I shouldn't say that because I want to go back to Thomas Howard. What did you think about the reveal of him saying that he, as a timberman, bludgeoned a guy to death and assumed his identity just so he could escape and go to the lighthouse?
2: You know, I, uh, I actually took it differently when I heard it. Mm-hmm. I actually didn't hear it. Like maybe I just wasn't able to, to grasp the way he was wording it or whatnot. Um, I had taken it as the other guy had died in an accident. Like the logs okay. had come free, and that's how the guy died. And what Thomas did was just take his identity. I was already Mm -hmm. dead. It's not like, you know what I mean? Anybody else is going to question, you know, who's who nobody else knew who this guy was. I felt like, you know, he was in a very similar situation in the middle of the woods that he's now in here at the lighthouse, you know? So again, this is where I'm starting to draw this parallel of maybe he's in hell because he's being put through the exact same thing all over again. Um, You know, and is this supposed to go on for him for time immemorial? You know, who knows? Uh, You know, for all we know, he wakes up every single time and ends up, you know, at some, like, new fucking nightmarish type of job like this and going through this entire thing in which he's got somebody lording over him every time. Um, But, yeah, I took it as that guy died, not gotten killed by him, and he took the identity and, therefore, on the run – Figured he can get away and get out and escape that town because otherwise he was never going to get out of there. He was going to be forever, you know, stuck because he was
1: like a poor kid or whatever, you know. Yeah, for some reason, I I get what you're saying and I could agree with that to a point. But for some reason, I felt like he actually did it. Like he actually committed a murder uh, in the woods. And the only reason I thought that is because when they have flashbacks to the person who's got blonde hair um, and his back is constantly to Winslow when he has these flashbacks, you see his body in the water earlier in the movie. So that's why I kind of felt like that was a sin that Winslow committed. And that's why he's constantly seeing the image of the back of this person's head, because when he's drunk, he's saying, you know, I I, I did it. I don't, I don't know why, but you know, it, it happened and trying to kind of make excuses for what happened. So I kinda of felt was, like maybe it was purposeful.
2: The reason why he was seeing the back of his head was because it was him. You know what I mean? That was the thing mm, remember. Yeah. He assumed yep. he assumed this man's identity. So, you know, yeah. in his own head, it's a matter of him kinda coming to grips with understanding that, you know, you're losing yourself so much because you're you're so you're so caught in a lie. Like uh, look, yeah. I, I wasn't yep. always like, the okay. greatest of people. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I definitely had my 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 day of doing yeah. like you know some shitty grimy shit. And yeah. you know, I I remember living like that. And you know, knowing that like you know, like when you start building upon some kind of falseness of that nature, and how it just starts to grow and grow and grow because you you kind of you have to live with it. And then you have to, even if you're not consciously building on it, it's always there. So now that lie is the foundation of which everything else around you is, is being developed. And it's really, it, it, it tends to be a shitty feeling because even though you might convince yourself eventually that, you know what, that's not a lie, that that's what happened, deep down you always know. That it's fake and that it's false. So you yeah, know, one of the things that I, I can say, you know, these days is that <clears> it's <throat> great not having to live like that or not feeling that way anymore, man. That is a wonderful fucking feeling. Uh, but that's yeah. what I feel like. I feel like that's his guilt. Uh, again, like I, yeah. I, I, like I'm trying to grasp. I remember he might have, he might not have been able, like he might have been able to help the guy or something, and chose not to. I don't think he specifically Back in the killed too. the guy. I think yeah. it was an accident of some sort that he might have been able to help or he could have went and got help, but instead of doing that, he let the guy die and then claimed his identity.
1: That could have been it, too. Like, I mean, it, it's one of those things where I think it's ambiguous. I think Eggers wants to leave it ambiguous as to what happened to the real Ephraim Winslow and why he took the identity. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think works so well uh, with this movie is that you could create so many different plot lines in your head of what actually happened to this person and why he felt the need to take this person's identity and become a wiki on this Island. Um, when he wakes up the next day and he decides I'm off of this fucking Island, I'm getting out of here. I'm getting a boat and I'm just, I'm leaving. Like I'm putting on my life jacket and leaving, but you have wake running outside with the ax going, you can't leave me. Like, and he just destroys the boat, which is his one way of getting out. And when he runs back in, You have this weird kind of game going on between Wake and Winslow at this point. And, again, the parallel to hell to purgatory is played a lot in this sequence where Wake says, you don't even know how long we've been here. Like, are you even really here? Am I really here? Like, it's so well done the way that Willem Dafoe delivers these lines of questioning whether or not everything that's happened has actually happened
2: again it's like uh, like i said he really starts fucking with you on yeah. on a level that it like i said earlier like this is one of those movies where it's like you don't feel like you're watching something that was made back then specifically because of some of the things that they're talking about but then you know too like you know when you think of like plato and and stuff like that where they were there were these guys there that were great thinkers you know and then you got to wonder too how many of these people were just somebody like awake who is hey, not somebody awake he was like awake like <laughs> yeah. um yeah. i'm sorry mm-hmm. <laughs> that You know, in like some kind of drunken stupor, just happened to like say some profound, like weird shit, and just somebody else took it and like ran with it, you know, and like that—that's the kind of stuff that I always like dig, you know, because I always try to think of like even that, like in in the sense of like the Bible, you know, who knows, maybe somebody like happened to like mention something and somebody else was like, dude, that's a fucking shit right there, man, I'm going with that. (laughs) You know what? You're right, dude. You're right. Put it in the book, dude. Dude, he's got a kid, man His kid is him, they're both the same They're all one fucking spirit Everybody worship this shit Um, (laughs) You know, so so here you have Wayne going on (laughs) and on About all these different fucking things, man And like, you're just kind of Just like the end of The Witch You're kind of sitting there like What am I watching? What have I been watching? (laughs) Did I see anything? Like, like this this movie is fucking like, like I said with other films, it's like oil. When you sit there and try to grasp what it is that you were watching, it's just like it's it's there. You remember little things, but then you just are like, oh wait, it might not have been exactly that.
1: Yeah, and that's why that scene works so well, where he's like, you don't even know how long we've been here. Maybe you've been here forever. You don't know. You know, you are the one that chased me with the axe. Like, turning it around to Winslow, saying, you chased me with it. He tells me
2: he the one that fucking destroyed the boat.
1: (laughs) And Winslow's like, did I? I I don't even know. (laughs) You know, just completely just not even knowing what the truth is anymore. What reality is. Um, And I like the fact that at this point. I felt bad Winslow. I did feel
2: bad for Winslow there, but I'll be honest with you. It was at that point that I'm also sitting there myself saying, did he destroy the fucking boat? Right. You know, like, like, is this a case in which he really is fucking insane and he thinks that he's going to escape and Wake's actually the sane one? And that maybe Winslow did this when he's blaming Wake at this point? Like, I'm really all over the fucking place. Like, they
3: really did a great
2: job of, like, creating this
1: chaos. Or is Wake even real? Because he even tells Wenzel at some point, am I even real?
2: Like, <laughs> you know, I could be a
1: figment in your imagination. You don't even know. <laughs> you – maybe I'm not even real. Like, you know, it's like, what the fuck are you doing, movie? Like, you know, you're just –
2: you want to destroy somebody? You tell them that shit while they're tripping on acid, man. You know, me and my buddy Jay, we've had some fun fucking conversations, and we've had some moments in which, you know, yeah, you go fucking weird with that kind of shit, and then then you say something like that, and that like literally like you could watch like all the energy just just drain out of a human being, especially in that kind of mindset when your brain has the ability to touch every aspect of the universe. You know, so when they think about it and they realize that this Definitely a possibility that you are just a figment of their imagination. Yeah, it's like this 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 wonderful like explosion of like synapses everywhere. <laughs>
1: yep. And another good point to make is towards the third act of this movie, which we're in, now that they're so low on alcohol, they start mixing it with the kerosene for the lighthouse. So now they're drinking Why gasoline not? on top of alcohol. And I love the scene where they're sitting in the the bottom of the lighthouse, and you have Winslow mixing the kerosene with the alcohol, and you have Wayne Tricky going, "Woo, <laughs> oh yeah, like, you know,
0: <laughs> this is this is good shit,"
1: <laughs> you know, because that's all they have. All they have left is the alcohol. As the storm hits, and I love when they're huddled underneath the table, just hysterically laughing with each other. As the storm destroys the the lighthouse and the cottage, that's all they have left is just to laugh and drink this kerosene laced alcohol. It was you such a great You gotta wonder season. at
2: this point. You gotta wonder at this point. Is it even like a matter of just simple insanity? How much is this yeah. is this poisoning now? Um, yep. You know, like it's funny. Like when he did that whole woo thing and everything. The first thing <laughs> that came into my mind is always fucking. Um, which one was it? I think it was Chicha Chung up in smoke when she does yeah. the fucking Draino, and she's like. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I, like I remember seeing that as a kid My buddy Vinnie Russo okay, Is the one that introduced me to Cheech and Chong Before I ever fucking even I had never even smelt what pot smelled like Never touched a drink in my life I had no idea what the majority <laughs> of things were That I was seeing on that screen Yet they fucking <laughs> cracked me up It wasn't until like years later Where I was like Holy shit, all that was illegal drugs, wasn't it?
1: I should have paid more attention there. Dare. <laughs> I know. Good old Dare. <laughs> Resisting drugs and alcohol. I never resisted either. Thanks, Dare. <laughs> you know? um, but, yeah, we, we have the storm hitting, and then when we wake up the next day, the cottage is destroyed. Everything is just broken apart. Uh, Winslow wakes up, and he discovers the book that Wake had been keeping to keep notes on him about how good of a worker he is, and he discovers that Wake's not even going to fucking pay him. He's, he says he's not suitable for compensation for this fucking job, and it just leads to Winslow having I, I, I keep calling him Winslow. It's technically Howard, but he has this break of saying, you know what? You weren't even going to fucking pay me. He's like, and I can't fucking stand you, and you're fucking talking, and you're farts. You're fucking farts. Like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, you know, you know, and it's just this whole interaction where he's like, well, I felt like I was fair. Like, you know what? You weren't that good. You were a dog. And he's like, I'm going to treat you like a fucking dog. You know, and it leads to this drag-out fight between the two where Howard Winslow has that break where he's beating up Wake and he's seeing different things happening, where he's seeing the mermaid, where he's seeing – wig turn into i guess trident the king of the sea is that the king of the sea or is it zeus one of them but it's like he's got all these well, uh, no. seashells on his head and tentacles poseidon. and shit poseidon it that's it
2: poseidon. Uh, he was he was the king of the oceans or whatever the god of the oceans uh it could be any number of them i mean hell uh, 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 odin to a degree
3: Has control
2: over that kind of stuff. He's like the god of frenzy, which, you know, I've seen some things lead towards the, uh, that the, uh, the seagull was possibly Odin because of the one eye. Um, that's true.
3: Yeah. Great point.
2: Which is, which is a possibility there. You know, like that was one of the theories that I saw out there for that, which again leads to, you know, you, you fuck with the gods the gods are going to bang yeah. you back, you know, and we've seen that in how many movies, you know, looking like, I know for me, the earliest was Clash of the Titans, you know, like that story alone taught you right yeah. there that when you mess with them, man, they're going to mess hard with you.
1: Well, I saw somewhere that there was an allegory for Winslow being Prometheus who discovered okay. fire and then decided to to go against the gods to kind of rebel against the gods where you have wake being the old God and you have uh, Winslow playing Prometheus, and it's a great well, kind Prometheus of allegory
2: gave man fire. That's what he did, is that you know he was one of the gods, yeah, but he decided that rather than keep fire to just them, he would give that same weapon and ability to man so that man could then possibly rise up and be on par with the gods themselves.
1: Right, the whole Superman Um,
2: allegory—that's that's uh, that's Lex Luthor's whole thing, you know.
1: From uh, uh, man. uh, Superman Returns, Kevin Spacey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that movie. I'm sorry, I mean, I make no apologies. I like Superman Returns. It's it's not great, but it's good. Kevin Spacey's great as Lex Luthor. Like I thought, it was a great character for him to play. Yeah, like I said, they just
2: blew their wad on uh, the airplane sequence, you know. Well, I it come later in the movie. Yeah, I agree. there was like somebody for him to fight, you know, instead of getting in well, jail it was great house, to, yeah. mugged by, by Spacey. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, it's great that you had Lex Wither shanking Superman with a kryptonite shank. It's great. <laughs> you know, what other movie have you had that in? You have it, you know. So as many people want to shit on Superman Returns, you get Lex Wither shanking him. So I thought that was great. But, um with the movie, though, <laughs> just, again, I had a huge laugh when he beats up Wake, and Wake is kind of in submission at this point, and he's just standing over him, grabbing at his fucking dick, and he's like, you're my dog now, bark me, dog,
0: bark, <laughs> Like, it just, bark. Fucking weird. <laughs> it's so, so weird. Like, I couldn't have a laugh. <laughs> it just, It
1: worked. Especially when he puts the leash around his neck and he's like, I'm going to walk you outside like a dog. Like, like, oh, what are we doing? There's only like five minutes left in this movie. Like, where are we ending up with this? And he leads him outside into an open grave where he throws him in and starts burying him alive just so he can get the key to go up into the lighthouse and see the light. That's what his entire goal was. Um, But again, you get this... Fucking mindfuck! Where he gets the key from Wake, and he's going back into the cottage, and then all of a sudden Wake comes back and goes, "You can't take that key." But if you see it, he's fine. Like when you see Wake run back into the the cottage, there's no swollen eyes, there's no bruises on his face. He's completely fine. So it's one of those things where it's like, what the fuck is happening? Because he looked completely okay. Like he didn't look like he got beat up. He looked like he's just really coming he just came back for the key.
2: I think he looked a little bit beat, but again, I mean, you know, like I said, if we're dealing with insanity here, if we're dealing with gods and men here, um, and uh, let me correct myself, you know, Prometheus wasn't a god, he was a titan, which is one of the... Yeah, he was, he was uh, a titan. The parent, yeah. They're one of the parents of the gods, so, like, you know, the, the the gods overthrew the titans and so forth and so forth. I just don't want to get hate fucking tweets or fucking, <laughs> yeah, you know, somebody know. sending me a chat at some point, you know, hey,
0: man, you got that wrong. Actually... Cool. You didn't get it right. That's not Greek mythology. I'm sorry,
2: okay? I'm <laughs> book, i I've been reading stuff up on the Iliad and fucking Achilles because of something else, like I mentioned earlier today. So I, today is actually the perfect day to bring up Prometheus. Um, there you go. But yeah, I think when uh, I think when he comes back, he's 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 literally there, and you know, he gets his shot in, and then he gets fucking killed.
1: He gets the axe hit into Winslow's shoulder. But like I said, Mm -hmm. it looked like he was fine. So again, we keep going back to purgatory. We keep going back to hell. So it's like, well, maybe this is just a repeat. And this is actually Wink being fine and coming back to hit him. But Winslow gets the upper hand and gets the axe and just wails it into his head. So he can get the key and go up to the lighthouse and finally see what the fuck this light has. Um, it's such a great visual when he goes up to the light for the very first time, and his fucking face is caked in blood. Like, I just, especially in black and white, I would hate to see it in color. Like, I think black and white added to the surrealism of it. Just seeing his face caked in blood.
2: I think that, um, again, if you were to do this film in color, um, and I'm not saying that it can't be done in that way. I think you just have to do it in a very you have to do it in a very toned down color. Which, if you're going to tone it down that much anyway, you might as well go with the black and white. I think if you go too bright with it, things become comical. Um, I think this yeah, is a perfect way for this. I think him getting up there, him seeing it, and like I said, if indeed, let's say, you know, that wake is. You know his keeper, his, his his personal Satan. It's fucking, it's it's Satan himself. He's one of the gods, whatever he is.
3: Who's to say
2: that what we're about to see, or what 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 Ephraim is about to see, or Tommy, whatever you want to call him, uh, Winslow. We're going with Winslow. Yeah. We'll go with Winslow for it. Yeah, who's to say sure. what he's about to see inside of that right now is not like God himself or Heaven yeah. himself? similar to like when you looked at dogma and you know when god opened her mouth in that movie you know human mind can't handle the sound of that voice you know it's it's it's, it's on a plane of existence that we're just not fundamentally capable of comprehending and henceforth would drive a normal human being insane or possibly kill him right off the bat you
1: know yeah, and it's it's so well done because they don't show you what he sees in that light. We don't see what Wake sees in that light. Like Wake, when he goes up to that light, he strips naked and he just sees something that he really enjoys. When you have Winslow going up there and seeing it, he puts his hand into the light and you get, again, Ghoul, the fucking audio is amazing for this sequence. Mm-hmm. When he puts his Sound. hand into that light... And he gets his fucking head back and starts fucking, like, a laugh scream, and you just, it's muffled at first, but then all of a sudden you get it, and you see he's screaming, and then he gets kicked down the steps of that lighthouse. And you don't know why he kicked himself back. Did he do it on purpose? Did the light reject him because he wasn't supposed to see it? It's a great argument. And I think he wasn't supposed to see it.
0: Again, if
2: Wake was a tender of the gods. If he was an emissary, whatever it is that he is, he is capable of comprehending what is within that device, um, or whatever that that really is. No human mind can comprehend it. It's like the idea of, you know, people want to want to want to. Sit there and try to to come up with ideas of what like you know the next dimension is and whatnot. Right, where you know dimensions are are are, are fairly easy. We can't comprehend anything outside of the third dimension. You know, I know people like to kind of like throw out there you know time and space and this and that, but that actually doesn't work. You know the d- dimensions are are, are are literal measurements. You know, so when something's on a on a single dimensional plane, it's just a it's just a line. When you give that line width and height, it becomes two dimensions. When you give it depth, now you have three planes of dimension. So you have you know your length, your height, uh, your width, your height, and your depth. Um, so we can't conceive with our minds what is beyond that because we don't have the capability of seeing beyond that, just like something that lives on a two-dimensional plane could never conceive what a three-dimensional world looks like, and something on a single would—if you were to show them what a fucking 3D world looked like their fucking head would probably explode. You know, that would be like trying yeah. to sit there in one of those things. The uh, you see them in Ant-Man, the fucking sugar bears or whatever they're called—yeah, like little tiny microscopic weird fucking the water things. water bears. That would be like sh- that would be like trying to shrink down and give them a fucking you know, an entire education on, on I don't know string theory.
3: You know what I mean? Those things are like. <laughs> yeah.
2: that, that's what our brains do when really when, when we're put into this into this kind of scenario. The other thing that this could possibly be, and it's completely conceivable, is that both of these fucking guys are completely 100% out of their mind, and that all he's looking at is a light. You know, all he's looking at is you open that glass, and there's just a yep. light that is in every single lighthouse, and that's all that damn thing is. And he's just out there, man, like Mandy style. My fucking brain is just gone, dude.
1: <laughs> yep. Because they did have that one sequence we didn't talk about where you have Ephraim on the lighthouse balcony where he sees uh, Wake, and Wake's eyes turn into the lighthouse light, and it shines mm-hmm. into his face. You know, that Wake is completely weird, naked. Man. <laughs> yeah, it was that such was a bizarre a fucking sequence.
2: fucking sequence. The look of it was weird. It looked almost out of place of the movie. It made yeah. me think of like it made me think of like a Zack Snyder film actually. Like you know, <laughs> like the way he would make like 300 look or Sucker Punch and stuff like that. Like just the the design of the character, the way the the the, the staging of uh. His body over him, and I mean, I guess it's trying to be artistic. And I guess if you freeze frame the shot, it probably would make an interesting like piece to hang on your wall. Somebody walk in and be like, "What the fuck is that?" And then you to be like, "Well, <laughs> yep. hey, you know, do you want to see the lighthouse?" Um,
1: and if they're sane, <laughs> yep. they'll be like, "No." Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, so they're like, "Yes, we want to see it. Show us the light. Like, Let's do it.
2: We're going." Uh, Look this <laughs> yeah. one that, again. If, if if I have the pass available or the time, I I might sneak in and just catch it one last time. I'm looking forward to this movie coming out though, because I really wanna 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 I want to dissect it. I want to be able to go through it a couple more times. But uh, but yeah, here we are at the the big finale as he gets flung down the steps or falls down the steps or throws himself down the steps.
1: <laughs> yeah, then we have this pause where we don't really know what happened, and then all of a sudden we have this reveal of Winslow Thomas Howard naked on the rocks being picked apart by seagulls. His eyes have been pecked out, and his fucking liver and all his guts are being extremed out for the seagulls to peck at as we close out, and it's like that's his ultimate fate um, of being pecked apart naked for some reason by these seagulls, and that's also leading into Greek mythology with Prometheus and that was his punishment was he was stripped naked and he would have his innards being pecked out by different kind of buzzards, but they would regenerate day after day and that was his internal punishment. So again, well, I it's think it was allegory his, to Prometheus. It was specific.
2: It was his liver and it was like an eagle. He was like chained to it. Okay, and, so there and that you go. He was going to, yeah, That that is what he had to deal with. And, yeah, you know, the weird thing with this is, is and you know what, it, it, it'll it never change. Anytime I see anything that slightly resembles a bird about to eat a human or is eating a human or is pecking and eating like the innards and their guts and all of that kind of stuff – the first thing that always comes to mind is that the uh, the Tales from the Crypt episode with um, fucking now his name's fucking completely escaping me. He looks like Rob Lowe, but he's not Rob Lowe. Anyway, he's like trapped mm. in the desert, and he's uh and he's what and basically at the by the end of this, like he's trying to escape a cop, and he was like handcuffed to the cop for the entire episode, and finally gets away uh he finds like the key or something or he saws off his hand or something like that and this and these these buzzards are flying around him the entire episode and finally he like collapses he's getting he's yelling at these buzzards the entire episode Finally, he's laying there and like he's he's kind of resigned to the fact that he's going to die and it ends with this one fucking vulture or buzzard like landing on his chest and like he kind of picks his head up a little bit and the damn thing just shoots its beak forward and pulls his fucking eyeball out of his head
3: man <laughs>
1: That's fucking hardcore. Um, But, again, I give a lot of credit to Robert Pattinson for actually being in that sequence, you know, because that's actually him nude on this rock, you know, being, having, you know, practical effects-wise of having his innards being pecked out by these seagulls. I mean, again, I give a lot of credit to him for doing that because I'd be freaked out the entire time, having to lay prone and naked on this rock's and being pecked at by these seagulls. <laughs> Can we cut? Can we just call it a day? Yeah, you know, i I'm I'm kind of uncomfortable. But again, it just it made me appreciate what he did for this movie even more.
2: Yeah. No, uh, yeah, again, I think both performances were great. Uh, you know, DeFoe is DeFoe. He's always going to do odd things. He's always going to do indie movies. He's always going to he's always going to be up for something like this. So I think for Pattinson, this was a bit of a risk. This was him kind of getting himself yeah. a little bit ugly, and uh, and going there. You know, this is a guy that's kind of been poised as like a, a teen heartthrob. You know, for for everybody, he's our next Batman. You know, which again, girls are all going to be like,
3: Sie! I think <laughs> what they're hoping yeah. to
2: get is the same reaction to Batman this time that they got to Jason Momoa as Aquaman. You know, so, hey, let's, you know what, let's get all these girls in the audience. Look what happened when we we cast a a sexy lead as our Aquaman. You know, we got all these people. We made over a billion dollars. You know, let's let's do this again. Um, So I think this was good for him. I enjoyed his performance. I, again, I got out of this movie, and I don't know, still to this day, I don't know if I like this movie or not, but I'm okay with that. You know, there's sometimes I walk out of a film and I'm like, wow, you know, that film didn't deliver this, that film didn't do- deliver that. This film, no matter what you walk out of it thinking about it, it delivers something. It delivers weird messages. It it gives you all kinds of interesting thoughts. It makes you, it it gets you all over the place. It riles you up. It makes you uncomfortable. If not visually, they're going to do it with the sound effects throughout the film. Everything about it is an experience and it's an experience that is well worth going to see in the theaters.
1: It is a complete Theater experience. Absolutely, it's a theater experience. Um, and I'm looking forward to it being available on Blu-ray because I definitely plan on adding it to my collection. But it's a theater experience. You've got to get that soundtrack in the theater. you got to get that surround sound of the foghorns, of the soundtrack, of the isolation, of the desolation of this uh, place. But as we close out, I want to talk about Robert Eggers' next project because he does have one. Because of what he did with the White House, he's got something coming up called The Northman, which is going to be taking place in the 10th century, of all things. And it's going to be a Viking revenge drama with Alexander Skarsgård and Bill Skarsgård, a.k.a. Pennywise, from IT and IT Chapter 2, and Nicole Kidman. So that is what he's working on right now.
2: Okay, so what is the, the premise of this one? Or at least the idea of it?
1: Uh, it is set in Iceland at the turn of the 10th century. It revolves around the Nordic prince who sets out on a mission of revenge against his father who was murdered. <clears throat> so we have Alexander Skarsgård in True Blood uh, playing a prince. Uh, his brother, in real life, is going to be playing his brother, Bill Skarsgård, who played Pennywise. Like I said, it. And Nicole Kidman mm-hmm. is going to be playing the wife of Willem Defoe, who is a king-queen in this Iceland-centric uh, setting. And Anya Taylor-Joy, who was in uh, Split and Glass and The Witch, is going and to the play Witch. in your yeah. sister. Yeah. so 10th okay. century. Like, Robert Eggers really knows what he's doing. And I love the fact that he's not setting any of his movies in modern times, he's going back to the 10th century for a Viking revenge story called *The Northman*. Yeah, well, and I was like, you know, what, well, I want to see That's the
2: thing, it. though. You can see well, what, what works with what he's doing is even though he's 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 setting these films in these different time periods, the stories. And, and, and the thought processes and, and the experiences of these characters still resonate to this day, so I'm sure we're going to see that again, whatever it is that these characters are going through in this new movie it's going to be something that's still relatable to today's sensibilities, to today's mindset, yeah. if not exact to, you know, an, an extent um, it's not going to be something that's like completely 100% like, oh well that wouldn't fly today, you know um yeah, I'm uh, again, you know, seeing the witch, seeing the lighthouse. I'm certainly looking forward to to, to seeing what he's bringing,
1: and the cast of the Northman. You have Nicole Kidman, you have Bill Skarsgård, you have Alexander Skarsgård, Anya Taylor Joy, um, and they said potentially Willem Dafoe is going to be in it as well. Uh, I just I love the fact that he is not afraid to go into these places that other people might be afraid to go, which is tenth century, you know, old school. Swords and just battle Vikings, like it's so cool. Like especially with the White House going into 1890, and the witch. You know, it's it's so fucking cool that he's not afraid to shy away. Saying I'm not going to make a modern horror film. I'm not going to make a modern action film. I'm going to go back and I'm going to take you guys back there. Like that's it, why I but love I, Robert Eggers so much.
2: Again, though, I mean, you know, to sit there and say I'm not going to make a modern horror film, I mean that kind of is a modern horror film these days, you know. I mean we've seen a lot of period style films, um, you know. I'm mm, uh, yeah. again, like I said, as long as he's putting the same thought, the same quality, you know, the the the, the, the cinematic styles. Again, he is yet to yeah. uh, to. Disappoint or turn me off completely in any way. He might not entertain me the entire time, but he hasn't, you know, pushed me to a point where I'm sitting there like, eh, I'm kind of not interested in what he's got coming next.
1: And the the funny thing is, is that I remember that you saw The Lighthouse first. Like I, I was going to see it. I think it was the weekend after you saw it, and you had told me via text. You said, listen. The Lighthouse is basically if you took the last 20 minutes of The Witch and you expanded it to two hours, and I was like, holy shit, I'm in, like, I need to see Mm -hmm. this fucking movie now. Because, exactly, it's like where you have a slow burn with The Witch and it takes you the time to get to that finale in the third act where you're like, holy shit, what the fuck did I just see? The Lighthouse delivers on that where it gives you it the entire time, where you're on your toes, where you don't know where it's going to go next. And you can't wait to see what's going to happen in the
2: finale.
1: Listen, if you
2: want to be uncomfortable for for two hours, man, the lighthouse is the way to go. Because, you know, I I personally enjoy that, though. Like I said, my favorite thing about a movie and the reason why I love the theatrical experience, I want to feel different, you know, feelings. I want them to be able to, 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 to create a world and an environment You know, within that that screen, that, you know, for that hour and a half, that two hours, you know, sometimes with these Marvel movies, that three hours, I want to be living within that world. I want to be completely 100% be able to be immersed into it. And sometimes that's through the story, sometimes that's through the visuals, sometimes it's through a character. Um, You know, not all films are always going to deliver that kind of thing. But, you know, thankfully, yes, The Lighthouse certainly does, it delivers something.
1: Okay, so here's a very controversial question as we close out because
2: we're talking about
1: this we're talking about the cinema. We're gonna have a new episode for you at some point, but as we close out twenty nineteen, hopefully we'll have another one for you, but I want to posit this to you, Absolutely. Gull. We'll be back So far, that. what has been your favorite movie of twenty nineteen? Oh,
2: that's easy that's easy for me though, man. Come on! There's only one movie that I saw six times in 2019.
1: Doesn't matter. Say it. Oh,
2: it would be fucking Avengers Endgame, man. Now, you know that doesn't mean that that was the. Right. It doesn't mean that was the the best movie of 2019, but that was definitely the best movie for me for 2019 simply put, because everything that led up to that film and that release and all the stories and all the character building and all the development, all the things that weren't connected, all the things that were connected, everything got all swept up into this big gigantic ball of a movie and then got delivered in ways that that made you feel like you got treated respectfully. They, they did Mm -hmm. the right things with characters. They, they took characters out in ways that you, you realize that you so were emotionally invested that, you know, people shed tears. I had plenty of moments bawling on my bed, you know, watching it on my phone (laughs) the one time, man, like I never, it never got me in the theater, never got me in the theater. People were sobbing in the fucking movie theaters, you know, Bonnie started fucking crying. Um, But, like, you know, every time, like, maybe a tear would escape, but I'd never full-out cry. And then before, while the movie was still in theaters, like, somebody had put the entire end sequence, like, online, and, like, it came up on a Facebook thing. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll watch it. And it starts, you know, the whole battle between, the, you know, the original three and, and, yeah. and Thanos and everything, and it goes through to the entire fight. And by the end, when Downey snaps his fingers... I finally, like, it just, it just yeah. escaped. And, like, there I was, like, sitting on my bed, sobbing, like, openly, like, everything soaked underneath me, like, wow, I had, like, all this... Pent- I'd seen the movie, like, four or five times by this point, too. Um, but, like I said, that for me there's certain films that just have to be theatrical I've owned yeah. Endgame, I've put it on two times, I still haven't even like sat and actually watched it any time I've put it on it's like I'll put it on as like background noise because nothing can ever recapture the scope of what that nope. movie was on that gigantic screen and that's why I saw it so many times you know, I knew there was no way I'd ever recapture that again
1: no, I completely agree, and it's tough because I know like I had said we're we're planning at least I plan on doing one more episode of cinema before the the month of before uh, well, the year of twenty nineteen's out. I, I don't um, think we've
2: got two at least two before twenty twenty
1: we do, and i I definitely plan on doing two. I know you do as well. Um, uh, it's tough because twenty nineteen has been such a great year for movies um, greater than twenty eighteen, I would say. Um, for me though, just to close it out, I would say the Joker movie, Todd Phillips, Joker, uh, is my 2019 pick of the year. As much as I loved Endgame, I fucking loved it. Uh, It's such a great movie, but Joker, it just resonated with me on so many levels. So I would pick that for my 2019 pick with the B squad being Avengers Endgame. As much as I love Endgame, not saying it's not a great movie. It's fucking classic. And I did cry myself. But I think Joker came out of fucking nowhere and just took 2019 for me.
2: Oh, listen, this has been, like you said, it's been a great year of movies. I mean, we've had everything from Avengers Endgame. You know, this is still the same year that Captain Marvel came out. Um Shazam came yeah. out this year. Yeah. Once upon a yeah. time in Hollywood, Dora the Explorer, Hobbes and Shaw, yeah. Aladdin, you know, The Lion King, Good Boys. and I'm just going through the list of movies that I've seen <laughs> yeah. the last yeah. like
1: three months, man. <laughs> so oh, many fucking been, good movies.
2: It's been a fantastic, fantastic year. And this is why, like, the one thing I have to say, man, uh, again Like I've always loved Going to the movie theater, so that's why I was so excited To be doing this show Because we can finally Start talking about films That are in theater Um But honestly, if, you know, anybody out there, if you're like a moviegoer and you have like, you know, an AMC or a Regal, whatever your movie provider is in your area, whoever's got the most amount of theaters, look into whatever programs they have these days. You know, the movie theaters, they're hurting. Everybody's like, oh, Hollywood's not hurting for money. Maybe they're not. But at the same time, the theaters are hurting a bit here. You look at the box offices with movies being pirated on a regular basis. This is why theaters are starting to offer programs like the AMC A list where, like I said, I pay 25 bucks. I think it's 23 plus tax. So it's like $25 a month. I can see three movies a week. That translates to 12 freaking movies a month in any format. That's ridiculous. It's you see two movies you've paid for yourself. And I get to see ten more, all in a month. Yeah. And again, if you and love I've, movies, yeah. if you like to see them, go ahead and do this because it's worth it, man. Because that's what these films are. That's where you're meant to see them. They're meant to be seen in the theater.
1: And I, I really, I, as we close, I'm really excited because they just opened a theater right down from where I live called Real Cinema. Um, They built this Wegmans uh, grocery store and they built a fucking theater right next to it, which makes it so much easier for me to go to movies than to the theater I already go to. So I'm like, holy shit, I'm going to be there fucking every weekend seeing movies now because it's so much easier for me to get to this real cinema that's right down from where I live. So the cinema is going to live and we're going to have 20 more episodes for you of theaters, of movies that are taking place right now. And I cannot wait to discuss more of these movies. And like you said, Ghoul, that's what we're all about, seeing these movies in theaters and giving you our reaction, not seeing the movie from 1981, you know, from 1990, but movies that are in theaters right now. And Cinema is here for you to do that. And
2: this, this big-budget indie films, all of it, you know, the the one thing I've said, it amazes me that since I've removed the paywall of having Mm -hmm. to see a movie in theaters, how much more I enjoy all the films. You know, even the ones that I might not feel were great, they're still more enjoyable than if I paid $12 to $15, went and saw that movie, and then was like, yeah that kind of sucked I wish I didn't pay for that um, you know you you kind of eliminate that completely which is which is great it kind of gives you a more free flowing feeling about films that being said I still have to say man Indian movies they're two for two in theaters for me you know I mean they, they, they've, yeah. they've yet to fail me man the, the two that I've seen have just blown my mind away so uh, I still have to get to see Houseful 4 that, that's next on and my list who knows maybe I'll pick one of those soon
1: yeah and you no, should, we'll do that because I, w- I would love to check it out because they're amazing. But this has been the cinema with the ghoul with me, the king. I hope you enjoyed our discussion of the lighthouse. I hope you enjoyed it as well. We're going to be back. We're going to have a new one for you. but this has been great, and thank you so much, Ghoul, for enjoying the lighthouse and for joining me on this sojourn into a modern movie in theaters absolutely man
2: and uh and yeah, everybody, I hope you enjoyed this cinema, and uh I look forward to your to your next visit and uh again we'll uh, we'll bring the lube we'll bring all the all the medicine you need, just just bring yourselves, you know and we'll we'll have sound effects like the lighthouse, you know. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: But I do think we have one loaded up uh, for our next episode of Synanima. Uh So stay tuned for our next episode. We love you guys. Thank you so much for enjoying this episode. A new episode of Talking Terror premieres next week on Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Look forward to seeing you there for Train to Busan, which is going to be the Ghouls' pick. So we're hoping you're there for that. Jeez. And we hope that you're here for the next Cinema episode. All right. Well, why don't you sign us off?
2: Ah, uh, I, don't, I don't even have a sign off for this one, man. You know, I, my, my other ones stay scared. But you know, this, is a, this isn't this is You a should do a new thing, one. So. You should do a new
1: one for up. Do a new one. I'll think. I'll.
2: I will think i i do not know. here I'll fart. Oh.
3: <laughs> <laughs> we'll,
1: we'll, oh. we'll go
2: with that. I'll, I'll, I'll
3: go with that next
2: time, okay? I didn't think that.
1: <laughs> yeah, all right. You know what? Good hey, well, you know what? I'm the king, he's the ghoul, we'll see you at the movies. How about that?
2: Oh, ouch. I think Roger Ebert might go after us for that one.